All right, well, thank you, Zach, and the music team. Happy birthday, Cliff. <clears throat> Good to hear you sing. Well, for those of you who didn't see this last Sunday night, <clears throat> somebody in the sound booth drew a little, you know, little mark on here to remind me this is my earpiece, and it has a clock on it, <clears throat> and it has two hands reminding me that I need to stop at a certain time. So I told him I'd go 15 minutes longer for that this morning. So no, we have a great sound and tech team. We're grateful for every one of you. Thank you for your effort this morning. We're in a study on the book of Romans. So if you'll take God's word and find Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at this passage. And the title of today's message is Freedom from the Power of Sin. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is a financial guru who basically talks to people and tells them how to get out of debt. And every now and then, if you listen to his program, you'll see that he has this certain time when someone gets out of debt that he allows them to go on air and they talk about their payments and how they got out and how they are now free. And he allows them on a countdown of three, two, one to shout. I won't do that to you this morning, but they, some of them just, I mean, it makes chills go up you because some of them have been in hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. They've now paid it off and they'll yell, freedom. And he says, that's the greatest feeling ever. Do you realize this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, that you have the authority from God to yell freedom. Sin no longer has to have dominion over you. You have been set free, not as a servant of sin, but as a servant of Jesus. Now that doesn't mean that we don't struggle with temptation. That doesn't mean that we won't have things come in our life that pull us like metal toward a magnet. But what it does mean is that God has given you the power to break sin through the Spirit of God and through the power of the Word of God. And so what we're going to do this morning is kind of unleash how this happens and learn three ways that we can break this grip of sin in our life. So I kind of wrote this out. There's a lot of senses and a lot of hows here. So track with me because this is like sermon in a summary. This is where we've been thus far. Since believers in Jesus are declared righteous by God, we, we call that justification. Since you've been declared righteous in God's courtroom because of your faith you've put in Jesus, you've been declared righteous by His grace, and since sin was triumphed by Jesus, He came to the world in a body just like ours, was tested in every way like us, but sin never touched Him. And since we are now in Jesus Christ, positionally speaking, how should a believer respond to the pull, or I could say the temptation, the struggle against the power of sin that works in our life? Now remember, Paul was writing to an audience. He didn't found this church, but these people have been influenced by Jews and also Gentiles now. And they've been struggling with this idea or this concept that 
the Jewish people had the Ten Commandments and they always thought that if they kept the Ten Commandments that they would somehow earn God's righteousness or God's grace would flow toward them. And there's this big struggle that Paul's talking about. He said, because there's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. By the way, what are they? I thought I would just read them to you this morning. Exodus chapter 20. Um, Here they are. You will have no other gods before me. Don't make carved images. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie against your neighbor. And don't covet your neighbor's house, his wife, his male servant, his female servant, his Chevrolet Duramax, or any other property that he has. Don't, don't become jealous of him. Don't covet. Now all those, those Ten Commandments, by the way, as a principle of life, are wonderful. There's only one big problem. You know what it is? Nobody can keep all of them. And that's the problem, because in the power of our flesh, even if there's a desire and a will and the want to, Paul said every time that he would read something about not to covet, something would happen. Uh, His employee, the one beside him that's so lazy and grumbles and complains all the time, y'all ever work with anybody like that? It reminds me of the monk. You know, there was a monk who went into a monastery and he had a, a, a chief cardinal like over him. And this monk went in and he was only allowed two words every year. And the first year, he served his whole time, 364 days. On the 365th day, he was allowed to say two words. And he chose to say, food bad. He served the next year, 364 days. And he had a chance to say uh, two more words. And he said, hard bed. He served 364 more days and he had a chance to say two more words and he stood up and said, I quit. (laughs) And his boss said, well, it's about time. All you've done is complain since you've been here. (laughs) But this is true. This is true in our life. We can't keep the Ten Commandments because the moment that we decide not to covet or be jealous, something happens. And whether we want to admit it or not, there's envy down inside of us. Somebody got a better deal. Somebody got this promotion. This person inherited all this. Look at what they have. Look how their life is. They have no problems. And we start desiring what they want. And Paul talks about this in chapter 7. He said there was just this huge battle going on in me. I didn't know what to do with it. And then he gives us the answer. And I'll, I'll get to the answer, okay? But how do we deal with this pull in our life? Well, Paul's going to break this down in three, three sections or three ways to let us know how grace can actually change the way we live. And the very first way is you have to know something. You've heard the statement, knowledge is power. And Paul is going to say something that a lot of Christians really don't get. And here's, here's what it is. And Kent Hughes describes it like this. He was convinced, Paul was convinced that Christian living... The foundation of it depends upon Christian learning. In other words, if you don't know this, there's no way you can act upon it. You know, it's amazing. You learn different things throughout life. Did you know that? 
Uh, for example, I had a, had a piece of equipment one time I was running. I didn't know that if you push this one button, it totally changed the way that piece of equipment operated. And so I was over there struggling with this thing, thinking, what in the world's going on? And a guy who knew got up there and said, well, all you have to do is push this button and it changes every control on it. I said, well, why didn't you tell me that a long time ago? I wouldn't have knocked everything down trying to get in here. He said, well, you didn't ask. <laughs> Knowledge has power. And Paul says, there's something that you must know. And when you know this, it allows you the freedom to follow it. Romans chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. What shall we say then, you who are justified by faith? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now Paul's picking up his thought back in chapter 5 when he talks about how sin came into the world. Verse 20, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus our Lord. He picks up right after that and says, well, if, if the increase of sin brings the increase of grace, shouldn't we sin more? And Paul says, absolutely not. By no means. Or, as some translations put it, God forbid. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Now when we hear that, we think about water baptism. But Paul here is actually talking about, he's using this metaphor of water baptism, but he's actually talking about spirit baptism here. What does that mean? The moment you trust Christ, you are placed, baptized, identified in His body. Spirit baptism, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. You have all been baptized by one spirit into one body. And so the analogy here is kind of crossing the lines on both, but watch what he says. You've been baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now what has Paul just said? It's easy to you know, read over that and not realize what he said. What did he say? He said, you, when you trusted Christ as your Savior... You died with Him. You died with Him. Well, what does that mean? You, you say, well, I'm, I'm pinching myself and I'm still alive. And Paul says, yes, you are. Because not only did you die to Him, but you've also been raised to newness of life. You are so identified with Christ, you were co-crucified with Him, and you are co-resurrected with Him. You have the new life of Christ living inside of you. Now, the best way to illustrate this power is an outlet. And I'm not going to go over there and do that this morning, but if I walked over to that power outlet this morning and I pulled that plug out, and if I took my two fingers, you know, there's a neutral wire in there and there's a hot wire. And if I took my two fingers and just stood there on the outside of that outlet and looked at it, I wouldn't know that there was any power on that. 
But if I took my fingers and stuck in that outlet, guess what's going to happen? I'm going to turn loose of it. You know why? Because there is power in that outlet that will uh, charge something and make it operate. And Paul says this is the same thing that happens in your life. God has allowed an outlet in our life that we can plug into. And we can allow this resurrection life in us to live. But you have to actually make the effort to do that. You have to allow it to operate in you. You have to be obedient to it. You have to respond to it. But your old self has been crucified with Christ when he died and you have been raised again. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And by the way, I've said this before, you know, there are two communities in Christiansburg who, who are believers who do not struggle with sin anymore. Did you all know who they are and where they're at? One is out South Franklin and one is on North Franklin. It's Sunset Cemetery and Roselawn Cemetery. Those believers don't struggle with sin anymore, but the rest of us do. And we do because we have flesh. And our flesh wars against our spirit. And we have these cravings and desires. We want to do this. And the inner man tells us, no, we shouldn't. You ever want to just grumble and complain? Just, just, you just have a bad day. and You just want to fuss about everything. You like being around people like that, me either. But, you know, I mean, sometimes we all are that way. And after we begin grumbling and complaining, we start saying to ourselves, you know, I mean, even if we don't say this out loud, I acted like a big baby. I mean, look at all the, look at all the blessings I have in life. And you know what I do? I, I overlook a thousand blessings and complain about one thing that I don't like. I mean, I forget that God gave me eyes to see, ears to hear, a mouth to talk with, a tongue to taste with, fingers to grab things, and, uh, enough health to get up and walk around. You know, a lot of people don't have legs. A lot of people can't feel. You ever feel like the world's down on you? Go to a nursing home. Just go to a nursing home for an hour and walk around and start talking to people. I, I promise you it's the most humbling thing that will ever happen. Just pick one, English Meta or over on uh, Warm Hearth or somewhere. Go in there and start talking to people. I guarantee you one thing will happen if you go in with that attitude. You'll come out much more grateful and blessed than you were when you went in. And Paul says instead of grumbling, we're to bless. We're to be thankful. There's this reversal. and I'll get to that. I'm getting ahead of myself. The point is, you've died to the old man and you don't have to sin. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So what are we to do? We're in Christ. How does he respond? He's living for God. What are we to do? Live for God. So the truth you must know, you died to the old man and the old way of life. Now let me ask you a question. What, what was your old way of life? Now if we went around this room and I asked you, you know, what you were like before you were saved, you would have different responses. If I sat here and spilled my old life, uh, you wouldn't listen to me. And if I let you spill your old life, I wouldn't talk to you. 
But the bottom line is we all have an old life one way or the other. My son was telling me this morning on the way to church, we were listening to Michael W. Smith. You know, that's, he's like my favorite singer back in the day. And Smitty was talking and David said, did you know he was a drug addict? I said, what? He said, yeah, Michael W. Smith was a drug addict. I said, well, I had no clue about that. He said, yeah. So he turns on this interview that somebody had with him and he talks about how he was living his life. He was a, he was a Christian boy. You listening? He's a church kid. And he said, I thought I could go play in the fire myself and not get burnt. He said, I played the fool. He said, I played in the fire. He said, I overdosed. He said, I almost died. He said, I thought for sure, you know, my, my dad was going to just disown me and beat me. He said, but you know what my dad did? He said, he had one conversation with me and that was how dad was. He came and told me, son, you're going to have to get a hold of yourself. You're going to have to get a hold of yourself. Michael W. Smith said, I saw God the Father in my dad. He never stopped loving me, but he told me, you have to choose to break this. And he said from that moment on, he quit and realized that there was a power within him, but he had to activate that. He was a believer in Christ. And you can read his book and listen to the rest of his story. But... You died to the old man. Don't blame the temptation on God. He has given us the power to say no. Paul describes the old way of life. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read this to you. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk. I'm going to read it now interpretively. As you did in your unsaved life. In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. Kind of sounds like Romans 1, doesn't it? Suppressing truth, don't want to know. Paul says they become callous and given themselves up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I mean, just go to a construction job site or a factory or a faculty lounge and you'll know what I'm talking about. But listen to what Paul says, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Believer, you are, you are different. Yes, you are among them. Yes, they will do that around you. Yes, they will try to pull you in. But you did not learn how to live for God by following them. Assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him. See, this is that concept of there's a truth you must know as the truth is in Jesus. Here's what you're to do as a believer. Put off your old self. Now, what is the old self? Well, I think Paul's very clear here. You know, sometimes we think that there's... We, we talk about a new nature and a sin nature living inside of us. I'm not going to get into this this morning, but I think what Paul's saying here about the old self is really it's just the life you had before Jesus. I mean, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you don't lose, you don't lose the intuition to sin. You don't lose a sin nature, by the way. Because he's contrasting here your life before Jesus and now your life after 
So what he's saying is, don't live like you did before. Because it belongs to your former manner of life and it's corrupt through deceitful desires. It's to be, and you are to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is the Holy Spirit using truth from God to work in our conscience, our brain, our mind. We're basically reprogrammed. And you want to know how it's fed? Right here, folks. Right here. Your new nature is like a baby that is birthed inside of you. What do you have to do to a baby? Well, you have to feed it. You have to change its diaper. You have to clean it. You have to teach it right from wrong. You have to teach it good from bad. And you have to satisfy, satisfy its hunger. Do you know when I was a baby Christian, you know how I satisfied my hunger? It wasn't with this. It wasn't with this. You know what happened? I got saved one year, two years, three years, five years, eight years. I had been saved eight years or ten and I was still an infant. Still needed a diaper. Because I had no knowledge, no truth. I wasn't eating what I was supposed to eat. My new nature wasn't growing. It was there. It was resident. It wasn't growing. We have to feed it. So Paul says we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That is the inner life that we have. He says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and therefore give no opportunity to the devil. Don't act like you did in your unsaved days. How did you do in your unsaved days? Well, I'll tell you what. They did me wrong. I'll tell you, I'll get them. I'll smile at them out of this corner of my mouth and I'm just going to wait till they mess up and I'm going to pounce. You know what Paul says when a believer allows anger to dominate them? Look what he says. Don't give an opportunity for the devil. Uh, this is a whole sermon in itself. Satan loves angry Christians because that is his play field. He can have a, I mean, he can just have his way with anger going on, unresolved conflict in a believer's life. He, just, he can just have his way. And Paul says, don't lie and don't give yourself over to anger or the enemy because he'll eat you up. Don't do it. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Notice this reversal. Let the one who lies change that by doing what? Tell the truth. Let the one who's a thief no longer steal, but let him go to work. And how does he resolve thievery? He becomes charitable and starts giving. Paul, see, Paul's not just saying stop, stop, stop. He's saying, yeah, stop, but do. Do, replace that. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. When you're going to cuss and cut somebody down, Paul said stop it right there and instead bless and build somebody up. 
See, I get so aggravated when people say, I don't like the Christian life. It's nothing but a bunch of rules. Y'all ever hear that? Rules, rules, rules. No, it's not rules. It's actually taking what's rotten and replacing it with something that's life-giving. And when you understand this principle and this truth, let me tell you something, folks. There is life power in this. When you feel like cursing, bless. I was working with a carpenter one time. He taught me this. And by the way, I hope it works most of the time. He, he mashed his finger with a hammer. He, he hit the wrong nail. That hurts, by the way, really bad. And, you know, when I was on a job site, I noticed this guy. He stood out from everybody else because if anybody else ever hit their hammer, boy, alive, you could learn all kinds of new words. But this particular guy, one time he was holding his hammer and he hit his finger and he went, oh, I was waiting. He said, praise the Lord, it's feeling better already. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Everybody on that roof stopped and waited. I hit my finger the next time and I said, mm, oh, praise the Lord. It's feeling better already. Let me tell you something. You listen. This is a habit. It's a habit. And what that old carpenter taught me was, you replace the bad with something good. Now, it doesn't mean it felt good, but it sure changed my attitude. And you can do that in different ways of life. So Paul says, don't let corrupt talk come out, but instead, what is good for building up? Why? That it might give grace to those who hear. I mean, you can be a channel of blessing to people in the midst of your tr uh, struggles and trials. You're wanting to give corrupt speech, but instead, give good speech. And when you do this, Paul says, you won't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by who you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I wish we were in class because I'd ask you, what is the day of redemption? I preached on that last week. Paul talked about the day of redemption. What is, what is the day of redemption that we're waiting on? It's when you get your glorified body. That is the day of redemption. You've been sealed with God's Spirit by your faith in Jesus Christ and God has promised you that you are going to have a new body like unto His. And it will never be tempted with corruptness. And until then, we are to push, push, push on and become more and more like Him every day of our life because one day, boom, we're going to be made like Him because we're going to see Him as He is. And by the way, folks, then the battle with sin is over. This is as bad as it gets for a believer. I mean, rejoice, Christian. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And instead, turn it around. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You are to allow to flow out of you what God gave to you. And this is the new life. This is the, the power of the new man. Okay, so back to the second way. The second way that you can allow grace to change you. There's a truth you must know. You died to your old self. Now Paul says there's a principle that you have to apply. You are to reckon something to be true. Now, what does he say? Very short verse, very long explanation. 
Since you died to Christ and you're now alive with Him, you also must reckon, consider, compute. This is an accounting term, a mathematical term. You must add it up and allow this total to be true. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, if you don't remember anything else I say this morning, you should hone in on this verse right here. And the next time you go to sin, remember, you're doing it because you want to. You're not doing it because you have to. Don't, don't you dare blame God. God, why did you allow this to come into my life? Stop that. Stop that. God, why didn't you give me the power to overcome this? Stop that. He did. If you're a believer in Jesus, He gave it to you. He's living inside of you. Paul says this is the truth that you have to put into practice. You died to sin. Consider yourself. Count it up. Do the tally. When it comes to the total, you have died to sin in Christ. And you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, You've died to your old way of life. Now you have the new life living inside of you because you're in Christ. And Paul said, that's the total. That's the sum. This is what it equals. This is the truth. Truth you must know. A truth you must apply. Stuart Briscoe writes this, The person you were before Christ has been judged, condemned, sentenced, executed, buried, and finished with forever. The new man lives. He lives. Let that sink in for a little bit. You don't have to live that way, believer. You don't have to. Now you can choose to, as a, even as a believer, you can choose to, but you don't have to. The third way is there's an action that you have to take. So how does a believer do this? All right, well, I've already told you because I read some of it in Ephesians, but the answer is you have to yield. Something you have to know, something you have to apply, and something you have to do. What do you do when you're tempted with sin? Paul says you must yield. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign, not R-A-I-N, R-E-I-G-N, Reign in your mortal body. What does that word reign mean? You see, we're, we're having the idea of authority or power or control. And Paul says here that, you know, sin wants to be your master. You know, Jesus talked about this, by the way, in John chapter 8. He, he told the religious leaders of that day that they were slaves to sin. And they said, you know, well, our father's Abraham. He said, well, before Abraham was, I am. What does that mean? Well, come on Sunday night and you'll find out. But he said, you are of your father, the devil. And you follow in his ways because he was a liar. He was a murderer. And he was a deceiver and a destroyer. Now, that's not a very nice thing to hear about yourself, is it? But that's what Jesus told them. And Paul says here that 
Sin wants to be your master. And by the way, it's a very bad master. Now, one thing we should never tell our kids, we should never tell them that sin isn't enjoyable. That it doesn't make the flesh feel good. Please, if you ever teach your children, don't ever tell them that. Don't ever say, now sin is not fun. Because the first thing they'll do is they'll go out and sin and go, you know what? Mom and dad were wrong. That was fun. I mean, and I don't know why they don't do it. Instead, what we should tell them is sin feels fun, but it has a very, very expensive repair bill. There are things, there are actions that we can do in our life that might seem enjoyable for the moment, but they are going to cost you dearly if you do them. I can testify to this from personal experience. Family members in my own family who tested and tried things, drugs. You know, what, I remember one family member told me, he said that he was working a job one time and a, a co-worker, listen to the pressure, folks, that I, and some of you face this. A co-worker in a hotel room that they were staying at, having to work all week. He said, I had to be around these guys all day, and here they are, you know. He said, a co-worker set out a line of drugs and said, do that one time. And he told me with his own mouth that he did that line of drugs, and he said, I stayed up for almost two days. He said, I want to tell you something. He said, first time I'd ever done it. He said, I would have killed somebody to get one more line. I would have killed him. I'm not saying every experience is like that. This was his experience. And when he told me that I was driving him down the interstate, chills went all up my arms and down my body. I was like, oh my. This family member is no longer alive today because they succumbed to the power of sin. You know, Paul goes on to say in Romans 6.23 that as a believer, the wages of sin, even for a believer, is death. But, it, but for a believer, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. I mean, believers still have to choose, by the way. We're not exempt from this struggle of life. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Now think about the master of sin here now. And Paul's saying, if sin's going to be your master, hmm, this is how you do it. You stop. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God. See the reversal? Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Don't give them to sin. Instead, do something and give them to God. Now, by the way, what are your, what are your members? Paul's going to go on and talk. Your eyes, your mouth, your hands, your feet. Can I say this? He didn't, but your heart. Your heart. 
Believer, listen to what he says, sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law but under grace. You live for God. The key to living a life free from sin's dominance is to realize that we are in Christ Jesus and then to stop presenting ourselves as instruments of unrighteousness. Instead, we are to give our bodies as instruments of righteousness to God. How do we do that? By yielding to the Holy Spirit's control over our life. Now the next time I preach in Romans 7, Paul's going to give this powerful illustration, and I'll I'll talk about it in a minute, but he's going to give another one. He's going to give two illustrations here. One is of a slave and a servant, and then he's going to give another one of a married woman whose husband died. She is freed under the law, and here the slave is also going to be free because he has a different master. Now, by the way, he would, he would absolutely get every person's attention in the church of Rome because most people calculate that a third of the population of Rome at this time were slaves. So listen to what he said. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one to whom you obey? Take your hands and your mouth and your eyes. If you're going to give them to sin, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be a slave of sin. You turn on your computer or your TV and you start typing in that search chat for inappropriate things for you to watch and look at and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you you type that in there with your fingers. Let me tell you something. Your mind, your eyes, your heart, your hands, and everything about you is going to be given over to that. Paul said instead, when you're ready to type that in, you better type something else. Better type Ephesians chapter 4. Better type in Romans chapter 6. Start reading it. And then do like I do in pre-marriage counseling. I always tell people in pre-marriage counseling, you know, when you go on your date, remember, God's sitting in the back seat. God's in the back seat. They always say, don't tell me that. Stop. I said, well, I wish somebody had told me. I'm telling you. He's also in the front seat. Let him have control of the steering wheel. Paul says, you're slaves of the one who you obey, either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Who you want to be your master? Sin or righteousness? Notice what Paul says now. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. You're dead to to sin. You're alive to Christ. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness... So now, believer, present your members, hands, eyes, mouth, ears, feet as slaves to righteousness leading 
to sanctification, leading to you becoming more like Jesus. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But listen, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? When you were out running around doing all kinds of stuff you shouldn't have been doing, let me ask you something. What kind of fruit did that add in your life to come? How did that help you in your life right now? You know, I'm, when I think about things I did in my past, it actually brings shame. And I have to go, thank God I'm in Christ and forgiven. Thank God for that. Because if I had to wallow in that all the time, I'd be in defeat. But thank God that in, in Christ Jesus, I have His righteousness and God doesn't look at my unrighteousness in my life in the past. Paul says, for the end of those things is death. Yeah, I could tell you a few stories that by the grace of God I got out of. I'm about ready to tell you one, but I won't. Okay. <laughs> but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's becoming more like Jesus. And its end is eternal life. So believer, you're a slave, by the way, in a good way. You're either going to let your master be sin or you're going to let it be Jesus and there's no neutral ground. Now who are you going to choose? Well, Paul's going to help you figure out the paycheck. You ready? The paycheck of sin is going to lead to death, even for a believer. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what I would say for a believer is this, after you've been declared righteous by God, given Christ's righteousness, blessed with all those truths in chapter 5, you know what you should do as a believer? Choose to live in that truth and in the power of that. Don't go back to the old way of life. Break it off. Break it off. And live for the Lord Jesus. You'll never, ever, ever regret it. Chapter 7, Paul starts talking about this great struggle. And he says, you know, that's true, but in my life, when I want to do good, I turn around and do bad. He said, what is the answer for this? At the end of chapter 7, he says, Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives the answer, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Who's going to deliver me? Jesus Christ, the one who gives you the power and the ability to say no to sin, and yes to God. And He lays that right at our feet. You have a new, new life living inside of you. You have to reckon the old life dead and you have to yield to the control and the power of the Spirit to help you, to enable you, to empower you, to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. Be a slave of Christ, not a slave of sin. You'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Father, thank you so much for your truth and your word this morning. Help us as your people.
who love you and want to serve you to learn how to say no to things that we shouldn't and instead turn that energy and that power to do something to serve you. When we want to curse, help us bless. When we want to complain, help us to be thankful. When we want to act sinful toward ourselves, feel sorry for... Help us serve someone else. And help us to take these truths and turn them. Turn them in a way that honors you. We thank you so much for Jesus, for the power of the Holy Spirit who is alive in us who enables us and empowers us to produce fruit at our yielding that honors you. So may the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the patience, the kindness, and the self-control have reign in our life as we submit ourselves to you. Thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen.